This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by CuraDebt. CuraDebt Debt Counseling offers you free debt settlement consultations. You're not dealing with the banks. You're not dealing with the credit cards. You're dealing with a company that is there to work for you and not the creditors. Hey, bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. If you have $10,000 or more in unsecured or credit card or personal loan debt, you owe it to yourself to give them a call. Pick up the phone, call 866-951-2699 for your free debt consultation. CuraDebt will work with you and provide you with a roadmap to rebuilding your credit. It's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, but possibly the bad stuff that comes along with debt. 866-951-2699. Gather up your statements, give them a call, and take advantage of a free consultation. 866-951-2699. Cure a debt. 866-951-2699. Now, on with the show. Nerd Cognito. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Nerd Cognito. My name is Ryan David. I'm joined by Bert. What's going on, Bert? Not too much, Ryan. How's it going today? Oh, it's the the fast i mean uh, there's that's all i can describe the past week it's been sort of a blur for me everything has been going very very fast and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i'm certainly not you know wishing for days to drag on but it seems like we were just sitting here talking about the shit last week and here we are again this week not necessarily a terrible thing like i said but it's just been a fast week I'm done rambling about how fast it's been. That's okay. I mean, time passes for everybody, and, you know, what are we jumping into this week? Well, this week I think is going to be a real fun show. Uh, I saw a couple of, you know, my favorite lists. Uh, We do love love a good list. I love the list. And we're going to hop in our DeLoreans and kick it back to the glorious 90s. What were you up to in the 90s, Bert? Uh, graduated high school, started business school, chain smoking cigarettes, and yeah. uh, you know, you know, learning to drink beer by the pitcher. Well, that 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 sounds good. I too, you know, graduated high school, started my undergrad, did quite a bit of chasing puss and binge drinking. Um, that's more towards the end of the nineties, uh, the beginning of the nineties. You know. I existed as a spoiled brat. (laughs) It was a good decade. What can I say? Anyway, we are going to go back in that Wayback Machine to the 1990s. And I have pulled, according to Sci-Fi Wire, the top 15 90s science fiction movies. Now, we're not going to bore our audience by reading through a list of 15. I forwarded you the list. You have the list in front of you, right? I do. And we are going to go through and pick out the items on the list that we think actually deserve to be visited. You know, we've gathered quite a broad demographic of people that are listening to Nerd Cognito, especially over the last month. Thank you, Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I literally have to thank Twitter, Bert. Mark this day down. I am not on fire and burning 
I thanked Twitter. That's I hate Ryan David at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we've had a, a really solid influx of traffic from Twitter. So all of the people that are, I'm sure we talked about it last week. I know that there are hate fuckers that are listening to the show now because apparently I get under their skin so badly that they needed to subscribe, which you can do on all of your podcast providers. But no, I, I, I think it's it's great. It was truly a good week, and I held off on thanking Twitter for a couple of weeks just to make sure it wasn't like an oddity. But we have some sustained traffic, and the only difference was I started pissing people off on Twitter by just being me turned up to 11. So thank you, right, Twitter. Right. So, so at this point we should say, welcome all our new I Hate Ryan David listeners, and <laughs> you can keep hating him and listen as much as you want. That is absolutely correct. Keep on hating me and listening. But a good portion of our audience doesn't quite have the years that we have. Not saying that we're old men. We don't have a foot in the grave yet. But I want to take a look at science fiction films and sort of say, what's worthy of their time? What should they go back and see if they haven't already? Some of them, I would dare categorize them as classics. Some of them, not so much that are on the list. Yeah, looking at the list, I see some classics, I see some guilty pleasures, and I see some things... I wouldn't watch again on a dare. Right. There, there, are some, there are some stinkers on that list. But we will jump into it and pull out what we think is meritorious from the list. I'll give you first shot. You've got the full list in front of you. What from that list would be your number one recommendation? Let's see. I see a lot of my favorite guilty pleasures on here, but if I was going to pick one that I would rate well that could be enjoyable for almost anyone i would pick the fifth element for sure oh absolutely i think the fifth element is probably the best example of true pure science fiction that is on the list so i concur with you 100 percent. right i mean it's got action elements it's got comedy elements it's got um hot ass mila jovovich when she was young (laughs) as shit (laughs) <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I was going to say things like, uh, you know, the, um, you know, a rich science fiction setting. You've got space travel, modern cities. You know, it's got a little bit of everything in the sci-fi genre. Aliens. Aliens and some callbacks to some cosmic horror. It, it, it's all there. The only thing that would make that movie better would be Donald Pleasance. Oh, I agree. Uh, who would you who would you have put him in as? I would bump Ian e. Holm, who did a fantastic job in the movie. No, no, no shitting on Ian, but as Father Cornelius, it's got to be Donald Pleasance. <laughs> but but dear Donald was dead, so that wasn't there. That wasn't a possibility. Right, right. We we might wish all we want. Donald Pleasance was such a fixture in the sci-fi community. I still remember him in things like. He was in the Puppet Masters, right? Oh, yes. And Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake? What was the Jennifer Connelly movie that was really weird that he was in? Do you remember? Creepers? 
Creepers was the original title, and then it released in our country as something else. Phenomena. Anyway, if, if you find Creepers, you know, great, great movie, wrong decade. Yes, love, uh, love Donald Pleasance in that movie. Terrible movie. Terrible movie, but Donald Pleasance was good in almost anything he was in. He was, and I would have loved to see him in The Fifth Element. No, Fifth Element is the quintessential definition of 90s science fiction, and it holds up today. The practical effects, the special effects, all are still good. I mean, and we can't say that about everything on this list. That's true. We cannot. All right, my turn. Looking through the list, just because of its impact on culture, I have to pull Jurassic Park. That's a very valid choice. I mean, the special effects in that alone would... They still hold up as well. And we're talking even five years prior to the fifth element. And who doesn't love dinosaurs? Right. Plus, the original Jurassic Park had a great cast. They all did a fantastic fantastic phenomenal job the franchise had not been milked to death at that point it was truly spectacular it was something that also did something that a lot of science fiction movies can't do which is bring in the casual viewer because sci-fi movies know that they're going to have a sci-fi audience when you bring in the casual viewer you're talking bucks. And that's, that's well, well, we know. We know what Jurassic Park is from here, from looking backwards, right? Right. From there, it became a cash cow. They milked that thing to death. Still are. Still are. In fact, I just bought the new, the new video game. <laughs> <laughs> Next on your list of 90s sci-fi picks is... Uh, I'm going to have to go with Independence Day. Hmm, interesting. I was not an Independence Day fan. It sort of combined those like patriotic war films that you think of, like the old black and whites that made you want to, like, that, that made you feel like patriotic and nostalgic. Sir, yes, with, sir, I'm ready to enlist. With, uh, with, with strong sci-fi elements and even some, you know, comedy elements with like Randy Quaid. <laughs> was it Randy Quaid? It was, was Randy it Quaid, yes. Randy Quaid. And Will Smith, to an extent, was you sure. know the cocky, arrogant Air Force fighter that had his moments. And it was Will Smith before he was really full of himself, not even counting the slap. So true. But you, 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 when you think of that movie, I always think of Randy Quaid going, "I was abducted by aliens, sir, and I'm looking for a little payback." Ah, <laughs> uh, let me see. What do I got left to pick from? Oh, there are some good ones in here. But when I think of 90s and must-watch, I have to go with The Matrix. Of course. The original film was amazing. Right. And it was groundbreaking. And it also was able to cross that barrier from sci-fi to mainstream. Not to mention, it had everybody asking questions about humanity and philosophy and it just went right into my wheelhouse because i can bullshit about that stuff all day long again great effects they've held up now we're we're at the end of the decade there matrix was 99 and i think matrix somewhat has 
a shadow cast on it from the three sequels because none of them were very good. But the original Matrix, with the story that it told, the questions that it made you ask, I think definitely is a must-see 90s film. Agreed. Definitely. I, I would uh, I would definitely rate that up there with a must-watch film from the 90s. What do you got next? Pulling all the good ones, man. Right. I mean, we've we pulled most of the good ones from this list now, so I think that I'm going to have to go with a guilty pleasure. Okay. I'll take a guilty pleasure. Um, Total Recall. Oh, I wouldn't say that that's a guilty pleasure. That is a quintessential early '90s movie. I mean, basically, it's a you know, it's a Schwarzenegger action, uh, action vehicle with sci-fi elements like thrown in, and three boobs. True, true. You've got <laughs> mutants. You've got Mars. You've got corrupt. Uh, corrupt uh politicians and company men so i i enjoy total recall and yeah when you do look at it those effects did not hold up (laughs) right no that movie did not hold up the first ones we mentioned were amazing groundbreaking cinema total recall that's why i call it a guilty pleasure it didn't really add anything to like cinema as a whole but it is a fun popcorn movie and i will watch it anytime i'll follow in your footsteps here and i will go with men in black i i think men in black is also sort of in that genre it's not earth-shattering cinema but it's something that you will watch from start to finish and you will have a genuine good time especially since the line with science fiction and comedy is really hard to pull off. And the original Men in Black, again, same caveat as The Matrix, we're going to pretend that sequels don't exist. The original Men in Black, again, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones is the straight man. Right. Gold. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, the, the, I, would, uh, I would sit down and watch the first one anytime. The sequels, I could care less there was a men in black film that just recently came out i didn't know this someone actually told me hey did you see the new men in black i said what (laughs) new men in black apparently there was one nope i i didn't even didn't even show up as a blip on my radar man well i'm glad that we're in the same camp what do you think should not be on the list hmm first thing i would throw off that list is contact really jodie foster Jodie Foster is a great actress, but going through the that, machine. And I, I watched that movie, and I waited for hours to see aliens, and it was her dad. <laughs> Spoiler alert! It was her dad who was an alien, sort of, maybe, sort of, kind of. We're maybe. not sure, right? I mean, the movie was ambiguous, and like the sci-fi elements didn't feel strong. It felt more like a. Um, it felt more like. A drama with sci-fi like window setting than anything else. That's fair. That's fair. See, I I wouldn't say that Contact is a must-watch '90s sci-fi movie, but I tend to view it more as sort of a philosophical drama. True, true. But when I think '90s sci-fi, Contact, 
it, the philosophy behind it, okay, you know, we can we can sit and discuss it as a film, but as a sci-fi vehicle, it just doesn't it doesn't strike me as a must-watch. You know what I mean? I hear you. I hear you. I'm gonna cross Armageddon off the list. Armageddon, Armageddon was one of two that particular year. The Earth is going to get blown up by an asteroid. <laughs> movies. <laughs> uh, it was the better of the two. I will say that. True. And, and it spawned a terrible Aerosmith song that got way too much radio play back in the day. But Bruce Willis and his team of oil riggers were going up into space to detonate a nuke on the surface of the asteroid so that Earth could be saved. Uh, the only, only good thing that I can even say about Armageddon was Liv Tyler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it was... Uh... And what's funny is, love Total Recall, not a huge fan of Armageddon, and they were both action vehicles for different actors, but the uh, Armageddon just never gripped me. I agree with you. I would uh, I would remove that from the list. I wouldn't call that a pinnacle of 90s sci-fi. No. I mean, is it a terrible movie? No. It's watchable. If you're flipping through the channels and nothing is on, you'll watch Armageddon. But it's not a must-see 90s movie anything else that is glaring to be removed from the list mars attacks to be removed okay i want to i want to hear this i certainly don't think that it is a stereotypical must-see 90s science fiction movie but i do think it is a must-see comedy movie so so hit me with your with your thoughts here I would agree with you that it is a, that it has strong comedic elements, but the science fiction elements were, um, and and they were purposely this way. They were cliche. They were over the top. You know, you had uh, the you know the the president just wants to save his own ass. The general wants to nuke everything. You've got, I mean, it was every sci-fi stereotype that you could think of crammed into a movie. And they did that deliberately, obviously, for the comedic element. But as a science fiction vehicle, I just don't think it holds up. See, and you just sold me on the parody value of the film. So <laughs> we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Anything from the 90s that you think is not on the list that should be there, don't steal mine. I'm not going to steal yours. That would be... That would be rude. I know exactly what your favorite. Well, that's why I say it because uh, you know we've we've even talked about it on the air before. Uh, I think if you are a longtime listener, you know what I'm going to add to the list. But I'm curious, what do you want to add, Bert? Because it was strangely surreal and very um, thought provoking. I would want to add existence. Really. Mm-hmm. That is a very obscure pick. It was very surreal. It was it had a ton of unexpected sci-fi elements. It had Give uh, the breakdown because I'm willing to bet that half of our audience doesn't know that movie. That that doesn't know existence? Yes. Wow, that's a kind of I'm kind looking of at at, a, at the powers that be here and she is shaking her head no clue. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, it starred uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Jude Law. Right. There was a video game designer created a virtual reality game called Existence. They ran a, uh, a test group and uh, a fan, a crazed fan attempts to kill her. So she goes on the run with Jude Law and they wind up kind of going into and out of the game trying to, uh, first of all, she wants to save her creation, Existence, and be able to get it to market. And the other thing is that uh, she wants to find out who's trying to kill her and why. And the lines between like simulation and reality keep becoming more and more blurred. Like so, at some points you're not te- you're not sure if something is really happening, if it's happening in the game. Like it is very kind of cerebral and it's sort of heavy sci-fi, but it's got all of these super strange elements. The scene that sticks out that doesn't ruin anything is they go to this strange restaurant. Um, and it's in the simulation, Jude Law orders the special and, uh, winds up using the bones and the pieces from the special to build a gun and gets into, and and gets into a, uh, a shooting fight with his lunch. Right. So that, that was, like I said, it was very strange, very surreal, very cerebral. And it was something that still sticks with me to this day why i was surprised that you picked it i'm still getting a, a shake of the head <laughs> so that is a, a, an interesting pick and definitely one that i think you should go and check out jennifer jason lee before she let herself go because you know that, that's important for me in a movie there is it's show business and without the show there's no business ryan and his eye candy um i think everybody knows what my pick is go ahead critically panned 29% to date on Rotten Tomatoes. So terribly reviewed, beautiful masterpiece that is Event Horizon. Plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, it's a... It's, it's a, a cursed uh, spaceship that ha- opens a portal to hell to travel faster than light. Like the original Alien, it blurs the line between sci-fi and horror. It has... Uh, Tons of, you know, unexpected elements to it. I, I think that that's a good choice to add to that list. Larry sure. Fishburne, Sam Neill, they were both spectacular in it. The practical effects are truly hideous. There is, and has been for a great many years, the long-lost rumors that the original cuts survived. Now, the studio destroyed the original print. So we will never, ever see a director's cut or a remastered version of Event Horizon. But those rumors still are out there that something is there and, and someday we'll, we'll get to see it. I can't... I, I, I can hope, right? Uh, Absolutely you can. A tremendous film. Great, great job by the actors. I think that the script was not terrible. There's, there's just a whole ordeal with people, I think, in 97 weren't ready for that. And that, I think, can be attributed to the failure of, of Event Horizon. Hmm. It was a little too dark. It was a little too deep. When people thought horror, 
at this point in time, we're still thinking of the slasher film. When people think science fiction, we're still thinking of Star Trek. And this is haha, light years away from both. Agreed. So psychological horror, great practical effects, amazing delivery, which can go a little over the top, but I think it was deserved. The over-the-top delivery, especially when Sam Nell's char- character went crazy, it was supposed to be over-the-top because he was fucking insane. We don't need insane. eyes where we're going. Where we're going, we don't need eyes. Well, I know where we're headed. The news. What's good in the news this week, right? Oh, nothing as good as Event Horizon. Nothing as good as Event Horizon. I've got a, a couple of interesting stories. I'm going to start this week out with a follow-up to something we talked about in the news a couple weeks ago. You remember that I was telling you about the rebirth, effectively, of the D20 modern system. Right. That was the up-and-coming Everyday Heroes, which is pretty much a good chunk of the D20 modern team updating their system to allow you to run an action or a science fiction or a kaiju or a movie of your choice or just run a D20 modern setting. I remember talking about that. It's uh, it's a very exciting concept. I haven't seen much about it since. I take it there's some sort of update? There is some sort of update. You know, ever since Jeff Grubb got snubbed out of the Spelljammer reboot, he's been slowly trickling bits and pieces out about everyday heroes. And everyday heroes has secured licensing for major motion pictures. Really? So you can actually run your favorite setting. And we're not just talking a handful and we're not just talking some stinkers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Highlander. Escape from New York. Oh, that's a classic. Rambo. Total Ah. Recall. Excellent. The Crow. Okay. And then there are some that that get into the not-so-great territory. Universal Soldier. Kong, Skull Island. But that's going to give you mechanics for playing kaijus. True, true. And Pacific Rim. (laughs) <laughs> giant robot fighting uh, okay. you know well, hey it, it, but i mean you could use that for uh you know any number of things because it'll give you base stats for building your own like mech suits and things like that so in a sci-fi setting you could use the you could modify those rules kind of how you wanted for something like robotech or you know voltron don't say robotech don't say gundam don't say voltron <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's Pacific Rim, but you're absolutely right. And I think that's probably why that specific license was secured. Not because the movie was any good, but because True. it would open up that genre in the RPG. This I love that. is the RPG that I want to run this summer, question mark? 
whenever it comes out. I would definitely be into playing that. Now, we were talking off the air because our Nerd Cognito gaming group is itching to start up some sort of non-fantasy role-playing game. And I think this is right up our alley. It's supposedly just the tip of the iceberg, according to Grub, as far as licensing options that have been explored. And uh, I think it's a good one-finger salute to Wizards of the Coast, don't you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you... I worked on the, you know, he's like, I worked on the original Spelljammer. You don't want me back? Uh, that's okay. I've got good stuff going on anyway. I worked on Spelljammer. I worked on AD&D 2ER. I worked on 3rd Edition. I worked on 4th Edition. I'm not diverse enough? Uh, but looking really good. Looking really good. The Kickstarter goes live on May May 17th. So Okay. So coming up soon. Coming up very, very soon. Definitely, I think this is going to break my Kickstarter abstinence here. I can see why I would, though. I mean, it's, uh, you know, as long as it gets funded, it's exactly kind of what you want from a modern setting. It's wide open. It gives you the chance to use movie franchises or even create your own you know, world and kind of pick and choose the rules that you want to incorporate. It's a very, it reminds me of, there were, there used to be generic role-playing systems that did similar things. And it kind of reminds me of something in that vein, but updated for sort of the modern age. Right. I see this as the new GURPS. I really do. But time will tell. Right now we know that it is definitely the reboot of D20 Modern. And now they've got the licensing. They're skewing it to say that you can create your over-the-top cinematic experience. I'm all in, man. That That's the kind of reboot that I want. So you're going to let me play a kaiju, right? Um, I don't know that we're going to do a kaiju game right away. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is not the reboot that I'm looking for? What's that? Two words. Oh, boy. The revival of Quantum Leap has officially been ordered to series, NBC confirmed this week. Okay. So, I don't know how I feel about Quantum Leap. A, coming back. B, coming back without Sam Beckett. And C, being reimagined, but supposedly still in the same timeline. Tell you a little bit about it. Okay. Uh, Raymond Lee from Prodigal Son is going to be the lead, Dr. Ben Song. And he is somehow going to be tied in with ex-Vietnam vet Magic Williams, played by Ernie Hudson. And they are going to be palling around with Jen. I forget the actress that was cast for Jen. That's all I remember is Jen. They're going to be palling around in space-time continuum doing quantum leap things. It's supposedly set 30 years after the disappearance of Sam Beckett when he, which, by the way, 
I might draw some ire here, but I think that the series finale of Quantum Leap was perfect for Quantum Leap. What do you think? Some people really did not like the ending of that series. Well, I mean, there's always going to be people who aren't happy with how a series closes out. I mean, you know, I wasn't happy with how The Sopranos closed out, but I don't get any say, so <laughs> just kind of deal with it. But people really wanted Sam to jump home, and it never happened. Eh, we'll see what happens. We'll see yeah, what I happens. mean, the, the original series, I think, was kind of groundbreaking at the uh, at the time, and I don't know that they're going to have the same kind of, they're definitely not going to have the same kind of impact with a reboot. You just worry that they're, are they going to mess things up too much? I just worry. Yeah. I, I echo that. They, are they going to mess things up? Are they going to also like some of those movies that we talked about? Are they going to cast a shadow on something that was truly groundbreaking for the time? And yeah, I, mean, I would hate to see that happen. But. I agree. I mean, some things, I mean, I'm, you know, reboots and reimaginings, there are, it seems like there are no new ideas these days at reboots and reimaginings are everywhere, but some properties you just wonder, they're not going to be able to improve on it. And you wonder if they're even going to be able to, you know, achieve the quality that it was known for to begin with. Right. Right. Well, we'll have to wait and see. It's NBC. I assume it's going to go to Peacock because I can't see it getting a prime time spot but time will tell oh next up something that we definitely don't like piracy okay a, a good court decision that i'm kind of mixed on you know that i am very much a free market kind of guy right sure absolutely live and you let know, live Make money, do what you need to do. Yeah, you're a big fan of capitalism in all its forms. I am a big fan of capitalism, big fan of also, you know, semi-limited government, and that's about as political as we're going to get. There's no way to, to talk about this story without at least giving that disclosure. Fair. So I feel very torn on this one, because I'm also a big fan of paying for shit, as opposed to pirating shit agreed there is a new court order that specifically orders the big internet service providers comcast charter at&t verizon t-mobile and a generic legal line that covers any internet service provider that is requiring them to block israel.tv and israelitv.com which sounds very benign but if you are in and out of the piracy realm, you know that those are two heavy, heavy hitters as far as distribution and streaming of not licensed content. We'll put it that way. Hmm. So, you know, the, the question is, are they doing it to try to, you know, sort of, put the brakes on the flow of information or are they doing it to sort of stop this piracy from occurring? You know what I mean? No, it is specifically a piracy lawsuit that this, okay. this order came out of. And again, 
they sound like very benign, good. You know, I'm a good little Jewish Ryan David. Um, it sounds like something I should I should be involved with, right? They are one step behind what Pirate Bay was, to put it in oh, wow. generic vernacular. Okay, right. Um, I got you. It, the, the main difference is Pirate Bay was Torrance, and they're just providing access to stream the content. I'm very torn because piracy is bad. Piracy hurts everyone. Piracy hurts the guys that are making millions and millions of dollars, and it also hurts the janitor that's making 15 bucks an hour. But I also don't know that I like any restriction of data flow online. This is the old computer nerd coming out, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, I am really right down the middle on this one. You know, if you want to seize the domains, if they have done something illegal and it's within the law to seize the domain, seize the domain. You don't order company A, company B, and company C to blacklist stuff because that is a slippery slope. You have a point because then when does it stop being a, an anti-piracy issue and start being a censorship issue? Right. As someone that has just returned to Twitter and Facebook from a ban from using the word, are you ready? Not in context, not directed towards anybody, but I use the see you next Tuesday word. Oh, no. Instant ban. Instant ban. So I get it. I, I I understand how it feels to just have that rug pulled out from under you. Hmm. I don't know. I am all for making money. You're never going to stop piracy. I mean, that's the truth. You are absolutely never, ever going to stop the piracy. You just have to keep it at such a level that if you want to pirate the content, you're going to have to really be on your toes because it's going to keep, it's, you know, it's a moving target. I don't know. I just don't hmm. like the idea of saying you are now blocked from accessing anything. That should be a choice that's made up to the end user. So you think that people should be able to make the choice to pirate and then pay the consequences? Absolutely. There was a big uproar. Um, some woman in Germany, I think, a couple months ago recorded some sort of Eric or her husband 20 years ago went to an Eric Clapton concert and recorded the concert and she was selling a CD on eBay of that concert and Clapton sued her and everyone's like oh, Eric Clapton he's such a jerk no he's not that's his music his concert the dude clearly broke the rules and the law I don't care that it's an old grandma. Grandma knew what she was doing, selling <laughs> selling copies of that CD. I don't know. Right, I mean, and I I don't know. When I was in college, there used to be a record store. Wow, now I'm dating myself. There used to be a record store. Hey, right I just went to I the went record to... store this week, so they, they still exist. Yeah, there used to be a record store right near where I went to business school, and their whole thing was they would have bootlegs of, like, concerts from Japan and things like that. So, you know, pirating has been, you know, has been around forever. 
like you said, you've got to keep the uh, keep the target moving. Otherwise, it becomes too easy to do. Right. You'll get sparkle trolls that, that, oh, wait, that already happens. Because they'll not only download the content, but they'll advertise that they have 40 gigabytes of content that they have never paid for. Oh, you know, eh, whatever. I missed the, missed the boat with the sparkle troll music. Speaking <laughs> of legitimately purchased and licensed materials, I don't know if you've ever played this, but um, we've talked about the sort of dungeon crawler light board games before that Wizards put out. We have. Um, there's a digital adaptation of the Tomb of Annihilation. Wow, okay. And that adaptation is is actually pretty good. I own it on Steam. But it is going to be delisted later this month. So if you don't have it, now is the time to go and buy it. Because if you own it, you'll own it. But once it's delisted, it likely is not coming back because of conflicting licensing agreements. So it will be delisted on May 20th. So you have a clock to go and buy Tomb of Annihilation on Steam. I remember playing the original Tomb of Annihilation module, ah. tabletop. It's <laughs> still better than Tomb of Horrors. Um, Agreed. But no, Tomb of Annihilation has four, or if you get the DLC, five adventurers traveling through jungles just making their way through a good old-fashioned dungeon crawl to end a death curse. It's a, it's a good little module, or a good little video game, I should say, based on the, the Tomb of Horrors module, which our Lord and Savior Gygax created. And uh, <laughs> don't crawl into the statue's mouth, gang. But if you want to get it, get it now, right now. It's 85% off on Steam, and they have an all-in, including all-DLC version, that's almost three-quarters off. Now, I don't know when those prices are going to change, if they might even change before we go to air, but it wasn't expensive to begin with, so if you want to get it, get it now before you can't get it at all. And that is the news, Bert. Interesting news this week. I mean, we've got, you know, piracy and delisted video games. Like a lot of, uh, seems like a lot of shenanigans going on in the nerdy news world. The shenanigans. <laughs> oh, I saved shenanigans for last. Our final segment. As we move towards the end of the show. Deals with the piss and match du jour in the online tabletop role-playing world. Hey, Bert. Yes, Ryan. Did you know something? I know many things. Did you know that Dungeons & Dragons has some violence in it? Well, considering that it was originally founded around the old sword and sorcery adventure stories, yes, did you know that that is a terrible, terrible thing that needs to be corrected in the future edition of Dungeons & Dragons? I did not. 
Can you tell me how to drive a story without conflict? No, we should be, you know, having our dances and, and role-playing our sexual positions and making sure that everybody feels good. Oh, and, and Sarah tried to slit her wrists last week. We need to provide her with some therapy. And I don't think stabbing a dragon is positive therapy. Hmm. This is a real conversation that is going on right now. Okay. Across the board. I'm not just talking about the pocket of sparkle trolls that I try to keep up with on Twitter. I'm talking about, in general, in the tabletop role-playing scene, the sparkle trolls want to remove the violence from Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, not to be a traditionalist, but like I said, the Dungeons & Dragons was founded around the old, you know, pulp sword and sorcery style adventures. There has to be, you know, that for that type of story to move forward, there has to be conflict. Does it have to be, you know, do you have to wade knee deep in gore and describe blood guts and viscera? No, but combat has always been part of D&D &D and, you know... Hey, you're you preaching move... to the choir, brother. So how do you move a story in D&D &D forward without some type of conflict? I'm going to um, even go so far as to say, no, you don't need blood and guts and detailed descriptions of it. But every once in a while, when you need to invoke an emotional reaction in your players, sometimes blood and guts and cruel, savage descriptions of what's going on is exactly what you need. Now, just like anything, it has to be applied in moderation. But you are inherently playing a game where, traditionally, it's the good guys versus the bad monsters. It is the eternal struggle of good versus evil. And True. that struggle is resolved through tactical combat in a game. I should have seen this coming. Last week, we revisited the Orcs are Racist trope. This week, we are removing the combat from a game that was originally a combat game. <laughs> the original Dungeons & Dragons was almost like a fantasy combat simulation. Now, here's what I don't get, Bert. A lot of the Sparkle Trolls tend to love to min-max their characters. Isn't there some sort of philosophical brain explosion going on for them? Because what are they going to min-max? It's all based on the combat. I've known, a, I've played with some people who have min-maxed characters, and you're right. I mean, they're like, I have an archer that can do 105 points of damage in one round, but if you hit him with anything bigger than a dart, he'll die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring that archer to my table, because you'll be like, yep, I hit. And I'll be like, all right, what's your damage? You'll be like, 172 hit points. And I will smile, and I will pretend to write the damage down, and I will move to the next player. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it before. It's a combat game. What is next on the chopping block is my question. Not to be 
a stick in the mud or anything like that. But if you've removed the distinctions of good and evil, you've they have. removed the lore, they and have. the history, and now you want to remove the combat and um, conflict from the game, you're left with a pretty boring story. You got it, my brother. Do you remember, did you ever see Futurama? I have. Did you remember the planet of the neutrals? I did. And that is very, it was a parody in Futurama. True. It is a reality for this segment of the gaming hobby. Right. I mean, eventually you're going to get to the point where, as they said on the planet of the neutrals, when they're going to die, tell my wife, I said, hello. Let me let me read you a quote. Okay. I posted half of this today. But the lead up to it was since we need to remove violence and combat from Dungeons and Dragons, after all, we want this to be an inclusive and welcoming hobby for all. I'm thinking that we should skew the game more towards erotic role play. Have you ever been in a game that involved any amount of erotic roleplay? Games involving adult content? How did you like it? Would you be comfortable doing erotic roleplay or with people you're interested in sexually in real life? As long uh, as I've been into D&D, I thought it would be fun to be in a game including adult content. As well as a little degree of humor. I could also see myself being able to separate sexual roleplay with characters from myself. This guy apparently did not pass English 101. So it'd be right. a fun activity between friends. Can't we substitute erotic roleplay into these groups? That uh, is a much better option than combat. No. Hey, Just Bert, no. I mean, Bert, pass me the Cheetos while I describe my dick. No. Yes. I mean, I have played in games with people who were overage that had elements... Like I, there was a place place setting called Arcanus, and one of the um, classes that you could be was if you were a priest of the the god of like eroticism. Well, fine, right? Right, but the even that it only colored things like instead of phantasmal killer, you got the spell of phantasmal lover, which would take somebody out of combat for ten minutes, or like there were elements of that built into it but it still wasn't explicit well i definitely I think that this guy is a guy that's not getting laid and trying to get laid at the dungeons and dragons table but and i do think that this is an extreme example that i pulled but that's you know what we do we want to showcase the extreme mental deficiency that is running rampant in our beloved hobby i just don't understand and with the other thing that bothers me very much about that post is we've talked more and more about how do you introduce younger gamers to role-playing? How do you get, um, you know, the next generation of gamers interested? I do not want my nieces and nephews sitting around with this guy. Right. I, I mean, that's disturbing I, I on agree. so many levels. Well, well, you know, this will all be covered in session zero, and we're going to talk about how we're going to limit combat and limit situations that make you feel uncomfortable unless they fit our agenda. 
I mean, come on, guys. There is a true divide. And unfortunately, historically, since the 5th edition development team has been into place, they are siding with that element. Now, do I think that they are going to be so short-sighted that they eliminate combat from the game? No. But I think it's ridiculous that we have to have this conversation, period. True. And I mean, I've played in low-combat games, games that were espionage-based, political-based, uh, puzzle-based even, but... When it comes down to it, played... you're still in a combat, though. Right. There's still combat situation. You know, if you don't manage to sneak into the party or you don't manage or you get caught infiltrating or you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, you may have to fight your way out. I just I just don't know. And I'm going to be called a gatekeeper and I'm going to be called an exclusionist. But really, it's time if that's what you want, make it and go play it and get the fuck out. And I think, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for decades. So I've played all kinds of characters. And as a challenge, I have created pacifist characters that don't fight, but they were great support characters. Like, if you don't want to be a combat character, you don't have to be. But you have to you you have to realize that there's not you're just because you're not in it or you're not fighting, combat still exists in the D and D world. Right. It's like saying I'm going to the poker game, but we can't play with cards. <laughs> uh, it, it it really is. Well, son of a bitch, we're playing with some cards here. Oh, if you like the deck that we're playing with, I hope that you have gone to the podcast provider of your choice. Could be Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it, we are there. And if you haven't, you need to go there right now. Hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss another episode of Nerd Cognito. We come at you every week, and you will be right on top of it when you are subscribed. You can also toss us a review, or even better... Go online and recommend Nerd Cognito to all of your friends. Link the show. Give them a chance to listen to all that is Nerd Cognito. I think that's about it for us this week. Uh, I've got a plan how to run this next session without any combats, Bert. So I think that, uh, you know, considering the posting that you read earlier, I should clarify that Ryan said deck. Coil, bicycle, D E C K. Correct. <laughs> My name yeah, is yeah. Ryan David. Thank you so much for tuning in. I was joined as always by Bert, and we will talk at you next week. Have a great week, everybody. D-E-C-K. Be safe out there. E C K. See you guys. <laughs>